Shelley, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Shelley sang her song uh, this morning, uh, Grace to Grace, and uh, she that is living that story out. Thank you so much for being willing to share that story with us. You know, I, I'm so, I love these stories that we have told throughout this study. It's been a uh, um, kind of a, a lot of different testimonies, and these are just folks, uh, you, I mean, literally are you guys, and there are tons of testimonies of what God is doing and has done in your life. We love to tell those stories. It just reminds us of God's amazing power and love and grace for us. So uh, he is a good God, good God. You know, I got to say this morning, um, I uh, experienced something this past week that was so wonderful, I could not keep to myself, and that is that I got a chance to celebrate 35 years with my wonderful wife, Lori, 35 years of marriage. So um, thank you very much. She is... Uh, if there's such a thing as wind beneath the wings, uh, she is that. So she is a blessing, and I just want to let you all know that. Um, we are in a study. We've been in a study for a long time. This is one of the longest series we've ever done, but it doesn't seem like it, to me anyway, because of the testimonies and also because of just the very topics. But we're studying through the book of Ephesians, and we've kind of uh, moved through that. We're getting close. So we have one more week next week in this uh, study. The last few verses of chapter 6 are going to be a great study. It's uh, Spiritual warfare, which ought to be awesome to talk about. But today we're taking that passage uh, right before it, and we're going to talk about a subject that you probably never thought a lot about. Maybe you haven't, but uh, uh, certainly it's been an issue in our past and uh, our nation's past that we need to talk a little bit about. You know, I have been uh, always heard that a little bit of knowledge can be a really dangerous thing. A little bit of knowledge, just knowing a little bit about something can oftentimes get you in trouble, and that's true when it comes to the Bible. Uh, there are critics of the Bible who will take a certain passage of Scripture in the Bible, uh, maybe something obscure, and misrepresent it what it actually says or the context in which it was actually given. An example of that would be to go back in the book of Leviticus, which is a really hard book to read, but to go back into that book and to find some verse that was intended for the Jewish people in their place, in their time, and then ridicule the Bible by saying, look, the Bible doesn't have any application today. For example, an uh, example might be eating pork. You know, God told his people to not eat pork, and they might say, isn't that ridiculous? We eat pork uh, all the time today. But that was for a people, a place, and a time. Another example would be God said, don't wear clothing that's got two different types of fabric, you know, uh, woven together. And again, that's the place and time. Now, I share that with you because there are people who deliberately want to undermine the, the truth of God's Word, the application of God's Word, and that's true of our topic today is why I'm bringing it up. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to talk about slavery. We're going to talk about slavery, and that's probably a subject you don't think a lot about. But there are people today who try to undermine the credibility and the integrity of the Bible by suggesting that the Bible actually condones slavery. So I want to convince you that it does not. It does not. And we began with the Apostle Paul, who's setting himself in a prison cell. He is not a slave, in a way, but he's a prisoner, which more than likely in that day also meant a slave or hard labor as well. But he's writing a letter to the church there that he had begun in the city of Ephesus. Now, in that day, slavery was very much a part of their culture. It was uh, uh, in every community, every city, slavery was part. And there were slaves and masters in the church. Now, you might say, well, that would be a little awkward, wouldn't it? You know, in a church when you were sitting maybe across the aisle from your master and things had not been so good between you in the past and you were dealing with that. But how much different would it be to have employers and employees in the church? 
you know, where there could be some conflict that came up at work that bled over into the church or from the church that bled over into work. It was awkward, but it was reality. And so Paul says, let me address some of the issues that come with slavery. And so he jumps in, and we're going to do the same thing. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of hearts, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but also as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, we're going to talk about slavery, but it's going to be immensely practical once we turn the corner and talk about our context today, okay? But there are people who erroneously suggest from this scripture and others that the Bible actually condones and supports slavery, and they apply it to the darkest period of our country's history. Because we all know that between the years of 1619 approximately and 1863, about 250 years, almost 400,000 slaves were brought to America, mostly from Africa. They were treated as a commodity. They were bought and sold like people did cattle and cars. They were mortgaged and deeded and, and, uh, and gifted to people the same way we, we uh, get rid of houses today. And I want to tell you that slavery is one of two national shames in America. One of two. We'll talk about this one, and strangely enough, we'll talk about the letter here in just a few moments, but it one of, it's one of two national shames. Today, around the world, slavery is illegal in literally every nation in the world. But the ironic thing is that it's practiced everywhere. We're told that there are 27 million people today who are in slavery around the world. You see, human trafficking is modern-day slavery. Human trafficking. And we don't see that. I don't see that on a daily basis. But it is real. It is all around us. It's in, it's in every community in our country. The sex trade that happens around sporting events, that happens alongside drug uh, use, and, uh, and drugs uh, trade, uh, gangs, there's a lot of sex trade that is involved in those. So there's a lot of slavery in that, but there's also a lot of slavery in domestic work where people are held by fear or terror that they might be uh, deported or there would be violence or their family would be hurt. Uh, even if they are not tied up and bound somewhere, they're in slavery. And the wor they work today in fields, in brothels, in mines, in homes, and in restaurants. It's in many, many different forms, very subtle in our world today, and it has even been exposed here in our very own community. So it is literally everywhere. I want to say loud and clear that we need to stand against modern slavery and report any suspicious behavior that you might see, innocent as may be, it is very much a part of our world today, even though we're not very much aware of it. So understand that Paul is not condoning slavery. And he's also not talking about the type of slavery that was a part of our history. It was a different kind of slavery. And I hope that you kind of, we, as we wade through this, you can see the difference and distinction that we have here. I want to be really clear that slavery as practiced in the U.S. was ungodly, unholy, unjust in every way and for several reasons. First of all, it was almost entirely a racial issue. You know, God has made all of us equal in His image and we are all part of one family with the same value and importance. So anytime one race or nation rules over another, it is a sin, a clear sin. Secondly, American slavery was a lifetime status. 
We'll talk about that difference in a moment. The slaves were never set free. And in fact, generations were enslaved and children were born into slavery, becoming slaves themselves and possessions of their master. You know, another example of this in the Bible were the people of Israel who were under captivity and slavery by the Egyptians. And they had no freedom and they were oppressed and they were, were beaten. They were enslaved for hundreds of years until God set them free. Also, in American slavery, people were dehumanized and treated as possessions of their masters. So we should always condemn slavery in our past and in the modern world today. And the Bible supports it as well. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1, it says, The law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. So he includes this slave trade in that which is contrary to sound teaching. And this is to our national shame for the clergy back in the days of slavery where churches and ministers actually defended the practice and many clergy had their own slaves. Obviously, disobeying, disobeying God's word. So I really want to be clear here. The Bible says that slavery as practiced in the U.S. and today is evil and a sin in God's sight. All right? So you might ask the question, okay, then why didn't Paul just say slavery was wrong? Why didn't he call them out? Why didn't he say, master, set your slaves free? And, and slaves, you know, you don't have no uh, reason to be in slavery. You know, rise up and rebel. And community and church stand against this slavery. Why did he do that? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's not that any of it was right, but slavery was such a common practice in Paul's day for really some practical reasons, and I'll tell you why in just a few moments. It was a reality, but it was different from what we had known in our country. In fact, it was so common, and it was such a part of their life that Paul has to address them and tell them, how do you live in the middle of ungodly circumstances? So this is where it gets really practical for us today, because if the Apostle Paul was a realist and said, okay, this is not right, obviously, it is a sin, slave trading is a sin, slave owning is a sin, then, then why, did he, why did he tell them how to live like that? It's because all of us live sometime in less than perfect situations. Sometimes we do our work, as we'll talk about in a few moments, in less than right situations. There are things that we just have to deal with and we have to live in, but in the process we have to do it correctly and do it as, approach it as a Christian. And I think that Paul's lack of spec, uh, being specifically, and, and his lack of specifically condemning it, is certainly not approval of it. It's just saying this is how you deal if this is where you are in life. For example, if you were to write a letter to uh, encourage Christians who would be living in a, a country where there were Muslim rule, Sharia law, and they were under oppression and persecution, you would not tell them to try and overthrow the government. That's their living circumstances. You would instead write them and encourage them how to remain faithful and how to conduct themselves in a hostile environment to bring glory to God. That's what you would tell them. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's not saying break free from slavery. He's saying if you're in these circumstances, either master or slave, this is how you glorify God through it. I hope that makes sense. So we ask the question, why were the people in, in uh, Paul's day, why were they slaves at all? Why was there slavery? Well, there's, a couple, there's four reasons I want to give you. Two of them are almost like just reasons or justifiable, and the other are not, of course. But what are the two justifiable reasons? Well, first of all, some people would become a slave to pay off a debt. 
to pay off a debt. You see, in that day, there was no bankruptcy. If you got into debt over your head, there was no way to get out. You couldn't walk away from your house or walk away from the debt that you were in. So if you borrowed money and couldn't repay it, you oftentimes had to indenture yourself to someone else's authority and let them be your master, and you had to, uh, to work for them in slavery. So you agreed. You had a contract. You agreed how long you would work, you know, when the time would be over, when the debt would be paid. You know, it's interesting. In Proverbs 22, it says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I got a feeling there would be a lot less debt in our world today if you, to pay it off, had to become a slave to the person you owe. I think that would probably nix a lot of that. But even if it doesn't, the reality is he's right because when you borrow money, you're working for somebody else. We don't like it, but it's true. So debt is not a good idea. So it's a real practical thing. Another reason, though, that some people would become a slave is that they oftentimes would place themselves in slavery voluntarily. Now, why would they do that? Well, they lived in a harsh world. There was no welfare. There was no disability. There was no, you know, help for poor people. So if you were poor or injured and there was a famine or depression, you might very likely have to literally go to someone who was wealthy and say, hey, if you will take care of me and my family, I'll be your servant. You know, I'll work for you. You provide a home, clothing, whatever it might be. And so you would negotiate a deal. You would commit to serve. They would commit to provide. I'll tell you an example of that was a prodigal son, right? When he left his family's home, he had nothing. He, he was starving, and so he indentured himself to a, a master, an owner, who was, had pigs, and he, he served them until he realized how, how dumb it was to be there. And then he went back home. So that's kind of how that happened in uh, and, and just almost just reasons. At least people survived through it. But there also were a couple of unjust reasons for, for slavery, a couple of reasons that were totally wrong. For example, here's one. Sometimes people were taken prisoner of, of war. If one nation came in and took over another, they would oftentimes take the people back to become their slaves. An example of that were the people of Israel who were led into Babylonian captivity. Uh, and uh, some of them, Daniel, Meshach, Abed, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all became rulers, but they began as slaves that were taken back to this country. So that, that was very common. Also, another reason, and this one's unjust, is that there were sometimes babies who were abandoned. Again, it was a harsh world, and, and oftentimes babies were born, and then they were abandoned if they had a disability or deformity, or if they were the wrong sex, or just unwanted, or illegitimate, or poverty, whatever it might be, they would be put on the trash pile to die. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I mean, something in me just kind of rises up, like, how could people do that? How could you do that? But then we come to the second national shame, and that is abortion in our country. Because while none of us would condone someone, okay, it's all right to put your baby on a trash pile, abortion is legal in the U.S. It has been for many, many years, and many, many babies are aborted because people don't care. So let's be careful how we judge those folks back then as well. See, abortion is definitely forgivable and restorable, and there can be healing, but it's also morally wrong. So those babies might be left there. They might be left on the, the trash heap. And people would come along and they would take that child and they would raise them to be a slave or a prostitute or a soldier or a gladiator. It was their choice. But here's the incredible thing. The early church came along and they started taking those babies home and adopting them in Christian homes. And they become sons and daughters as, as God has done for us, not slaves. That's the beautiful picture of the church. So for those reasons, slavery was common, and Paul has a really practical approach to it. 
So understand, you know, it, it, it's not good. It's definitely not what God wants, but there were reasons. And people survived literally through slavery because they voluntarily went into it. Now, in that day, when the gospel was preached, it was open to everyone. Slave or free. All of them became brothers and sisters in Christ. A slave literally would be in the church and might be their master's pastor. Wouldn't that be interesting if your pastor was also your slave or an elder in the church or a teacher or whatever it might be? So things could flip at the church when they went to work or went home. In fact, in Galatians 3, it says there that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel brought. It brought equality. It said the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come and we're all equal in God's eyes, regardless of our nationality, our gender, regardless of our, our status, free or slave. And you know what? In fact, Christianity had a special appeal to people who were oppressed because they were longing for something to fill their lives and give them hope and encourage them. And many of the early believers were no doubt slaves or masters, and the slaves no doubt were slaves to some believing masters or some unbelieving. And so Paul says, how do you deal with a difficult master? How, how can you be a Christian and and be a faithful slave? How, how can you be a Christian and a, a good master? Now let's turn the corner on that because what we're going to see is that God's going to give us some godly principles here that don't just apply to slavery. We're going to turn the corner because I think this scripture is best understood in the context of employee and employer relationships. I think that's how we look at it today because uh, I think when you work for somebody, you you don't want to be their slave, but, but at least you're, you're being paid by that person. There's some obligation. The Bible says that we should not worship our work, but we should use our work to worship God and bring Him glory. Now, hopefully nobody in this room is in slavery. I know some of the kids probably think they're a slave to their parent. All right, so we can let that go because well, that's not true. We serve our kids usually. But we're not in slavery, but if we do voluntarily accept the job and we take payment for that, then we put ourselves under our employer's authority. And so from that, we get some really simple, practical things that Paul said, this is how it works when you are an employee. There are three things we're going to talk about. Number one, he says, obey. He says, obey those who have authority over you, no matter if you know more than they do. You know what I've found is the people who actually do the work normally know a lot more about it than the people who are over them, right? I mean, you, you know what you're doing. You know that. They just know how to tell you to do that. But they come along and act like they know, and it drives you up the wall, right? No matter if you know more than them, no matter if they're an idiot, all right? And some of you are like, yeah, that, that would be my boss. You know, I've worked for people like that in the secular world, and sometimes in the church. Not presently, of course, but in the past, all right? So understand, you know, you, sometimes you have a difficult person that you have to work for. So here's the thing, you need to obey them and respect them. If you can't respect them, then respect the position, the position. You know, I, I, I believe in the military, they have a statement that says, salute the uniform. You salute the uniform. If you can't salute the person, if you can't respect the person, then you have to sal uh, respect the, uh, uh, the position there. And by the way, that may be true in the government as well, government authority. Because I would guarantee that regardless of what you believe, where you stand, within the last few years, you've had one of them both ways. You've either felt really good about government or you really felt very bad about government and about authority. 
And, you know, I think just like there's um, those who have authority over you, are your, can you be your boss? There's also government authorities as well, and that can be abused and misused, but we have responsibility to respect the position and salute the uniform if need be. Here's what he says, obey with respect and fear and with a sincere heart. Notice what he said here, it's a heart issue. It's not just about the work, it is more importantly about the heart that you have and how you look at it and how you view it and, how, and what comes out of your heart. And I was thinking about this and, and I was thinking, you know, it, it, we've all been in difficult places to work. I understand that and, and it's been hard. But I was thinking it's pretty simple really when it comes down to it and I just kind of lay it out like this. They pay, you obey, or you go away. You know, it might be an easy way to think about it. They pay, you obey, or you go away. <laughs> if you got a boss that you don't respect and you can't obey, then you probably need to find a new job. Or maybe it's in you. Maybe it's in your heart. That's what Paul says. Maybe it's in your heart. Maybe it's your attitude. You need to change because the attitude may follow you wherever you go. But he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for those who have authority over you. Now, how, how many times have you actually prayed for your pagan, ignorant, difficult boss? How many times have you prayed for them? How many times have you prayed that God would help them come to know him or give them compassion or whatever it is that they're lacking in their life. Pray for those who have authority over you. And then it says, obey those as you would obey Christ. Obey as you would obey Christ. See, we work for and we work to honor and glorify Jesus. So our job is to work like Jesus is your boss. To work like Jesus is your boss because he really is your boss. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Number two, don't steal. Do not steal. He says, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Now, guys, I've worked in the secular workplace as well. I, I know what, it, what it's all about. And what he's saying is when the boss walks by, man, there's a busy bunch of people, you know. But when the boss walks by, then the productivity usually drops a little bit, right? We understand that. He's saying, don't do that, you know, because then you're stealing if you slack off when the boss leaves. It's kind of like an episode of The Office, you know, when the boss is there, man, there's people, paper shuffling and things happening. But when the boss leaves, everybody's goofing around, looking on the internet, social media, talking, personal work. He says, don't steal. Don't steal time. Don't steal money. Don't steal anything. When I, was, uh, when I first started working, I went into a factory, and, and uh, factory life is, is a very different place to work. You learn a lot there about time usage and, you know, how to get, how to get along, but but one thing that our factory did provide is, um, you know, we did a lot of greasy work and dirty work. And so we had a big old boxes of rags, you know. And so during the course of the day, we would use several rags there. But one thing I noticed is at the end of the day, every man who walked out of there had a nice clean rag sticking out of his pocket every day, you know. And, you know, because you need rags at home, right? And so you walk out. And I'm sure there was so, un I got to admit, I, I carried a lot of rags out of there over time, it's been a long time ago, but, but, but nobody thought about it, all right? Don't steal. And then as I was talking about this, you know, messages, they convict you a lot. And I begin to think, you know what? In the course of a day when I'm working and, and I have a pocket on my shirt, I'll usually stick a pen in my pocket. And you know what happens? I end up carrying a lot of ink pens home. And so it convicted me so much that I decided that I was going to come clean today publicly to my church family because it is really, really easy. And I, I don't want to be guilty of 
of stealing anything at all. See, I, I, worked, I worked here a long time, you know. So, so there. I'm feeling, feeling better. I, I brought the pins back, and I'll have to keep doing that over and over again. But I hope you get the point what I'm saying is it's so easy for us to steal, isn't it? Not, maybe not on purpose, or maybe it is, but it, it kind of comes back, back to the heart. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, you are a slave of Christ. You're doing the will of God from your heart. You're working for him. And then thirdly, he says, wholeheartedly. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. Guys, you see, ultimately, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for all of our life. It is not just what we read in the Bible. It's not just what we do at church. It's not just with our kids and our spouse. It's also our work life. We're going to have to give an account for that. And so Paul says, if you're an employee, then you need to obey, you need to not steal, and you need to serve with your entire heart. And then he turns it around and talks about masters. And then masters, he says, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. In other words, you know who the boss is. Every Christian has a boss named Jesus. He is your ultimate boss. So if you are a boss or a manager, then you ought to treat those who are under you like Jesus treats you. Now, what does that look like? How, how do you think about that? Well, I think there's some things that I want to share with you. There's three of them as well. First of all, if you're a boss, care for your employees. Genuinely care for them. Let them know that you expect them to work. Yes, that's what they're there for. But you really care about them and their family. Know their names. Know their names, know their spouses, know their kids if you can. What's going on in their life? Care about them and ask about them sometimes. You appreciate them and you're generous to them. You know, your heart goes out. I know a boss, maybe the world's worst boss, maybe not, but a bad boss. He said, I don't give compliments. That's what your paycheck's for. I would like to work for a situation like that. Not so good. You, you would imagine there's pretty low morale in that office, isn't there? So if you're a boss... Compliment people. Be fair in your compensation. Be generous with benefits. Reward hard work. Not only what Jesus would do, but it goes a long way toward keeping good employees. It's just smart, it's practical, as most of the Bible is. Secondly, don't threaten them. Masters could and would threaten them with their lives. I'm going to kill you if you don't do what I say. Employers should not threaten and badger their employees with their job. It doesn't work, does it? I had a friend who had a job, and he was in sales, and he, uh, the product he was trying to sell was too expensive to sell, and it just wasn't a good deal. He did not believe in it, and he couldn't sell it. You know, you can't sell something you don't believe in. And so he'd go out every day, and he would go and make calls, and he would try to sell it, but he didn't believe it. It was too expensive, and it wouldn't, wouldn't sell. He went back to the office, and every day his, his boss would berate him and threaten him with his job. And he was like, this is not working. And his boss said, no, this is my job. Your job is to sell. My job is to berate you and threaten you until you do. Well, guess what? He quit his job. That's all you could do. It doesn't work. Let me also say that warning an employee that they might lose their job if they don't improve is not a threat. It's a prophecy. Now, you can prophesy to your employees if you need to because you expect them to work as well. But either way, do not abuse authority. And here's the last thing. Remember who your boss is. Remember who your boss is. 
Because Paul says both their master and yours is in heaven. Your boss hopefully will make it to heaven, but even if they never do, your real boss is in heaven. And if you are a Christian, then Jesus is your ultimate boss. And you know what? If Jesus' example and love and kindness doesn't motivate you, nothing else will. Sensitivity training is not going to help. Anger management is not going to help. Better skills is not going to help. Jesus is what is the best motivation that you will ever have. You see, even those who are in authority are under authority, God's authority. And it doesn't matter if you're the slave or the master, the employee, the employer. We need to see our work as an act of worship. Here's what it says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So you may be here today and you may be thinking, you know what, it doesn't matter how hard I work, it doesn't matter how faithful I am, I will not be rewarded for it. You know that. I'll never get the acknowledgement, the praise, the thanks, the promotion. But Paul says, you know what, the Lord will reward you. The Lord will reward you for what you have done. The Bible tells us we live by faith and not by sight. Not faith in immediate rewards or temporary earthly rewards, but in eternal rewards. So you do what is right, and Jesus will reward you. Now, sometimes that reward is internal, isn't it? Sometimes it's internal because you know just how good you are. Your boss will never tell you how good you are, but you know how good you are, and you know when you finish a project. You know whenever you get a job done well. You know you can do it better than anybody else. You know you know those things. You know how it, goes to, how it feels to get done with something. Now, I have to tell you, when, when I write my sermons, it takes several hours to do that, to collect the information, and then I sit in my office, and I try not to be disturbed for several hours, three or four hours at a time. But when I get done, there's such a feeling of satisfaction, you know? And I open my door, and I come out, and I almost feel like carrying the sermon, like coming down from the mountain, you know? Moses coming down, like, I'm bringing it down, you know? God's gave it to him, I'm bringing it down. I mean, there's a feeling inside. There's, you know, the rest of the staff's like, what have you been doing? You know, and, but it is just so rewarding. It's internal sometimes. It's an awesome feeling. You love to have that feeling and you need that. Sometimes the, the reward may be external. Your boss may actually notice. They may see that you did a good job. They may acknowledge that, maybe reward you for that. But you know what? Sometimes the reward is eternal. Sometimes it comes at the end of time, all right? And you got to take a long-term view at that and trust that God knows, as he said, everything that happens, and one day he will reward you. So the question is, do you want an immediate or temporary reward, or do you want an eternal one? And you say, yes. Yes, I want both of those. I want it here, and I want it there, too. But if I had to choose, I want it there. I want it there. You know what? When we think about work, I think about Jesus and his work. I don't know if you ever thought about what Jesus came to do, but he came to work, didn't he? And it was hard work. It was hard work doing what he did. It was draining work. It was emotional work. It was stressful work. He put hours and hours, sometimes all day and all night, in his work. His work was hard. His work was unacknowledged. Nobody was on the sidelines applauding Jesus. They were always criticizing. His work was punished. They put him to death after threatening him for a long time. And, and they put him to death for his work. But you know what? His work, he was working for his father because his father sent him down here to do this work. And that's what he called it. He called it work. 
But more than that, ultimately, he was working for you and for me. His work was for us. When his work was done, he went back to heaven. And now, he's working again. He's working, preparing a place for us. So that one day, regardless of what we experience here, we will have our reward. We will be rewarded as God sees best. You know, Paul says, you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. You know that. Or you should. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, can you rest in that? Can you have peace with that? If you're not a Christian, let me tell you, you need to sign up. You need to get in on it because the end of the world for those who are not believers will not be reward. It will be punishment and separation from God. If you'd love to have that conversation, I would love to sit down and do that with you at any point. You can check your connection card. Uh, you can catch me, whatever it is. I'd love to talk to you about taking your next step on your journey. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your amazing word. God, thank you for the work of Jesus who came to our world to, to serve us, to serve you, and to work to create our salvation. God, my prayers that everyone here would know that and experience that and rest in peace and knowing that one day we will be rewarded. We love you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.